0: keep myself dehydrated for this
1: exact reason that's a terrible yeah that's idea.
2: that's yeah that's why
1: that is a horrible horrible idea and you might die at a young age uh yeah i will all right let's let's <laughs> you ready to start recording what's our name again
0: oh yeah no we're uh, the supernaturally bad podcast uh my name is rob fendley uh and with us today we've got michael melgar
1: and casey no name yeah casey wanted to you know? opt out of using his last name because i guess he just doesn't like the concept of having a name
2: it really, it's just, it's just a sound that somebody makes when they need your attention. I mean, okay, so I what, think does, the, what does it even matter?
1: The 500 milligrams of edibles you took is definitely coming through.
2: Hey.
0: I mean, to be, to, to be clear though, that was 500 milligrams of edible. Uh, was it Delta eight though?
2: Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. Or,
0: okay. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like homegrown, like Californian, like.
2: Oh no, it's totally legal. Legal stuff okay. here in the uh, great state of Georgia.
0: Oh, well, speaking of speaking of legal stuff here in the, the state of Georgia. Before we get started, I do want to go ahead and uh, and, and also kind of kick us off with the topic of uh, Delta Eight uh, in Georgia, bro. Did have you guys heard about uh, the Madison County Police seizing thirty thousand dollars worth of Delta Eight from this guy's store and then having to return it because they didn't realize that it wasn't illegal?
1: Jesus Christ! So
0: they, oh. they go and they met, they go and they mess with this man's entire like business. And they're like, no, it's it's Delta, it, it, it's THC. Your THC is legal. And they take thirty thousand dollars of the product, and then they have to like turn around and return it because the police did not understand the law. I think you told me about that.
2: I think I think you told me about that when it happened a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah, because I, I, I knew news about from that. Jesse.
0: Yeah, I get all my news from Jesse though, because I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't keep up with the world most of the time. It's depressing or scary or both.
1: I get all my news from you. So just embrace it, Rob. Like depressing, scary. It's all good.
0: Uh, no, I mean, if the bombs are coming, there's nothing I can do about it. I'd rather not know uh, that that blissful ignorance is what's going to keep me from being scared.
1: You know, what's really fun is like a few weeks ago, I was having all these like really crazy synchronicities and they all had to do with the atom bomb. Like literally they all kept leading to the atom bomb. And, uh, I, I, I was telling my therapist about it and he was like, huh, he, he was a little bit worried about the fact that there was such a preoccupation with that.
0: Yeah. Cause you, I mean, you were probably like going to sleep. You're like,
1: oh, you know, we've got this war going on. Isn't that fun though? Like it's fun though, right? Like it's kind of like, cool. No,
0: it's not, it's not fun at all, bro. Uh, as soon Dude. as, as soon as, the, no, as soon as I found out stuff was starting to like kick off in like Russia, I was like uh, Russia in the Ukraine. I was just like, uh, we'd have like a thunderstorm. Right. And I would wake up from like from sleep and hear thunder and be like, well, shit, this is it brace for impact. Cause the, the fucking mushroom clouds coming. Yeah. No, I like, I wasn't, I wasn't fucking with that. That's not fun. That's me waking up having gritted my teeth for 3 hours.
1: You see but like I only learned about it conceptually from like hardcore history, you know, and it's like, oh, this is super interesting, but you're absolutely right. It uh, it would be absolutely horrible if it actually happened. Oh. So, but, is that uh, a fun way to kick off our show? I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel
0: like uh, if 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 anything it's it's a it's a good way to go. I mean, what, what do you think, goes, Casey? I, I,
1: are, are the is the atom bomb fun?
2: Uh, you know, that's that's a that's a big question. In what context because you know
1: uh oh there's a context where it would be fun
2: Hiroshima is not you know not fun Mad Max you know that's
1: pretty fun so you know maybe that's who knows maybe we need to get to Mad Max I'm not I am not I am not saying we need an atom bomb <laughs> no
2: one's saying we need an atom bomb but like if we it wound up in like a mad Max style situation how mad would you be I mean obviously all the sunlight and stuff would be shitty but uh, I get to wear some tires.
0: Are we judging it against the benefits that we got from it though? I mean, like at the end of the day, right? Like uh, the atom bomb dropping in Japan, not great, but we did get Godzilla.
1: So, so far our podcast has turned into like shitty hardcore history. And we, <laughs> we now, we have to find a way to bridge the gap between how terrible the atom bomb was and our topic for today. I forgot the
2: topic,
1: so. So in Twin Peaks, You've got a good pivot. The Return, Season Three, Episode Eight. There's this huge atom bomb explosion, and it's actually the beginning of the Black Lodge, and kind of, sort of, uh, the type of creature that we are talking about today.
0: And uh, that that creature that we're going to be bringing up today, Michael, would we? I mean, at the end of the day, would we call it a creature, or would it be? More but it, would it be better classified as a phenomena or uh I mean how 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 would you classify it?
1: That is the question to answer today. And I have so much to say about it, but hopefully, you know, it hopefully with what we talk about today, we'll be able to make up our minds as to at the very least some semblance of what this could possibly be.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, I mean, what we're going to be talking about today is the uh, Men in Black. Now, the Men in Black, obviously, is <laughs> the Men in Black is obviously Will popular. Smith? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely it's got some pop culture references. The most notable, obviously, being uh, the Men in Black movies with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and the man who lost his uh, right to be at the Academy.
1: And oh, such a shame.
0: Uh, it's only 10 years. And as Ricky Gervais said, uh,
1: he'll, he'll be oh, with
0: no he'll be back in six with good behavior Um, and honestly though who the hell cares uh nobody nobody cares and uh that bald wife can go on so yeah no we're gonna be talking about the men in black in a different uh i guess uh, frame of reference than the one that we saw in the men in black movies obviously in the men in black movies we were looking at more of a government agency um they were uh kind of tasked with with keeping aliens secret looking after the planet and uh and generally working uh as basically just uh interstellar like customs agents and uh and like interpol like intergalactic interpol i guess um but uh what we're gonna be talking about today is the phenomena in history known as the men in black now obviously the term men in black is fairly generic it's it's used for uh pretty much any unusual, threatening, or you know, strangely behaved individual uh, whose appearance uh, on the scene can generally be like, or likened or linked to uh, UFO sightings.
1: Yeah, so I just pulled this directly from Wikipedia. I thought they summarized it perfectly. I'm just going to read this off from the Wikipedia article Men in Black. The quote is, In popular culture and UFO conspiracy theories, men in black are supposed men dressed in black suits who claim to be quasi-government agents who harass, threaten, or sometimes even assassinate unidentified flying object witnesses to keep them quiet about what they have seen. The term is also frequently used to describe mysterious men working for unknown organizations, as well as various branches of government allegedly tasked with protecting secrets or performing other strange activities. The uh, Wikipedia article actually kind of throws some shade. They say the MIB supposedly appeared throughout different moments in history.
0: Supposedly
1: allegedly. And I don't, I don't really like that they've that they threw in UFO conspiracy theories like, there's 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 some truth in here and you know what this is a great time for me to put this out there this is a topic that there's so much to say about it like we're not gonna even we're like barely skimming the surface of what we're trying to cover today but it's all gonna sound silly and it's all gonna sound really stupid but i would just want to encourage we're as we're going through this suspend judgment for a little bit just imagine that your beloved grandmother Uncle, aunt, your mom, whomever it is that you respect, and you know, is a good friend, somebody. They had this Men in Black encounter. They 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 saw something in the sky. They don't even know what it was. And then this freaky, weird person shows up to their door, and just is just harassing them. So just put yourself in their shoes.
0: I think we actually have something here to uh, to, to to try to help uh, our listeners uh, kind of get in that 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 frame of of, of mindset.
1: Casey, I think we want to do a quick like thought exercise here with you. And we, we want to, we want to kind of reenact what a, what a potential men in black encounter might look like. Rob and I are going to kind of set the scene and we're going to ask questions. We're going to show up to your door and we want you to respond to us. Like you're just, you just took 500 milligrams of edibles. You've just been chilling on your couch today. And then you just, you hear this knock on the door. Do you have a ring doorbell, Casey?
2: No, no, I don't have a, a doorbell.
1: Okay. So, so you just, you just hear a knock at the door and he you doesn't like, have a door. So you, you hear a knock on the wall, you hear, you hear some sort of knock at the entrance of your home, and you look in the window and you see these two strangers are there. You immediately notice that they're wearing black suits, neither of which fit. One of them has a suit that is way too short, it like cuts off at the forearm when it should come up to the wrist. The other one is way too long, it's like covering up half their hand. One of them is really tall, they have milk white skin, the other is short about five feet or less, and has an olive complexion, possibly looks a little Asian, although you can't really tell. Neither of them have eyebrows. They're both sporting unsettling smiles. They look forced, they look practiced. You you see them kind of shuffling around up to your door, walking around like as if they're possibly drunk. Their movement looks a little confused. And you notice that one of them has a large tape recorder and they're holding a mic, but the device doesn't even appear to be on. There's no wires or anything that are connected. So they just seem like they're just holding this as like a prop. All right. Knock,
2: knock. I'm I'm, I'm high. I'm not sure if if I heard a knock at the door or not. I'm not sure if I heard a knock at the door. So you might have to knock a little louder because I got the door shut.
1: Knock,
2: knock. Oh, okay. I think I heard something at the door. Let me go. Check. Walk, walk, walk. Open the door. Oh, shit. This, uh, yeah, I like this. What do you guys want?
3: Hello, my name is Apple. That's not a name. This is my partner. We are census workers. Does Casey no name live here?
2: I I don't don't, know. I think he moved uh, before we moved in about a month before we moved in. We moved in in, uh, February, so I think he moved out around December. Why?
3: Was that the Casey, the owner of a Zara?
2: I don't even know. A Zara? What is that? Some kind of like MP3 player?
3: We were informed that it was a female companion of the Casey no-name who lived here.
2: Now, I can't say that uh, we have a cat. We got a bird, but uh, no cats.
3: What is your mother's maiden name?
2: Well, uh, what's I got to do with anything? What are you guys doing here? What is, what is the, what is, what, I mean, what is, what's with these questions? What's going on? I don't understand.
3: Who are you with? Please comply, or you may find there are unintended consequences.
2: Unintended consequences. What is, uh what, 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 what I don't know who you even represent, man. I'm going back inside. Listen, you guys need to get, get, get some help. Go back inside, unless you have some real questions.
3: We've been told that the resident of this house does research on UFOs and cryptids.
2: Uh, I don't know what is uh, you know, I don't invest in uh, that stuff, man. That dog coin and
3: what is your time?
2: I'm not. I'm not like. What, what do you mean? What is my time? Who's this guy he, he pipes in every now and then
3: what if someone ordered you to stop researching
2: I you know, say I, 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 why would they order me to stop researching you know what's, what's the big deal who, who am I hurting what am I going to find out
1: all of a sudden a car pulls up with no driver and both men leave abruptly in a rush no answers are given uh, Casey no. do you feel do you feel confused?
2: Yeah, but I mean, if, if you saw my neighborhood. So, so are you <laughs> saying this is a typical
1: encounter in your neighborhood?
2: I'm not saying it's typical, but, uh, you know, I guess it wouldn't be un- unsurprising. I don't know why uh, driverless cars. Is that a thing? Is that something? Is, so, like, are these questions they actually ask? Are these real questions so, that they've been yeah. asked?
0: So, so actually, that, that, that brings us into um, kind of the, the, the first big thing. Uh, to talk about with regard to the tactics that you see with uh, the, the men in black, at least historically. Michael, do you want to you wanna elaborate a little bit more on, on the technique that they they generally use?
1: Yeah. So Casey, there were several questions that we pulled from direct MIB encounters, MIB being men in black. And there's questions that they ask, like that one of them, what is your time? Uh, they mention that like, hey, uh, we we know that you have children and like, how old are they? They have all this like weird Personal information that they want to ask about. Um, there's uh, there's one account where they the one of the men in black are literally named uh, Apple. So a lot of these things came directly from MIB encounters. And driverless cars are very much a thing. And, and in fact, some in some cases they just they sh- actually show up in a driverless car that's from like the 1950s um, that looks brand new and for some reason is is just outside. they, they didn't even hear it pull up. So anyway, all, all that to say. That whole encounter you just witnessed is a very common trope. It's something that you hear again and again. There's so many of them that have those exact same elements. And there's this, uh, uh, there's this excerpt from uh, Jacques Vallée's book, Dimensions, where he brings up something called the confusion technique in contact ritual. So in this book, they talk about confusion used as like a form of influence or manipulation. Uh, and he quotes psychologist Paul Watzlewick, who says, the need to get out of a confusion by finding this new frame makes the subject particularly ready and eager to hold on firmly to the next piece of concrete information that he's given. The confusion, setting the stage for reframing, thus becomes an important step in the process of effecting second-order change and of, quote, showing the fly the way out of the fly bottle. Do you feel like you were a fly in the fly bottle? Uh, How did
2: I do? How did Could- I, how'd I do, though? Did, like, would they have would that have been an effective uh, interrogation would they have gone back to the office and be like oh we got that guy
0: no i mean personally speaking i think that they probably would have been they'd gone back and been like you know what this guy's a complete idiot there's really no reason to to keep going i mean any (laughs) like any like any research this motherfucker's done like he's 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 basically like he's got he's got ufo encounters up there next to a picture of shrek and uh like a unicorn like i think this guy
2: knows less than literally anyone we have ever fucking talked to.
0: Do
1: they go like, back to an office at all is the question.
0: Well my my like well of are, course like, where
2: else are
1: they going back to?
2: They gotta go somewhere. I uh, mean it may not be may not be maybe. like an office office, you know, like uh you know I doubt they like have have a rental space somewhere. But uh well,
0: I do yeah, like I've, to believe I like I to believe that, that while they uh while they're like while they're really awkward to us, obviously you could hear uh in the in the act that uh that Michael and I were doing you know they they they've been said to talk with kind of like a stopping starting kind of like, uh like weird cadence a lot of weird inflection on a lot of their words a lot of times a, a, like a statement will be uh, posed like it's a like it's a question, and uh, so one of the things that I like to believe is that when they do you know recede or or if you know if they recede even if they recede into a a state of. I wouldn't say a state of non-existence, but a state of non-corporeal existence. Like if they're, if they leave our plane, I still like to believe that they probably would like fade back into that, start talking to each other and be like, that guy was a fuck off. Like we wasted our time coming to, to, to honeysuckle for this shit, but they would, they just sound like that to each, like to each other.
1: You know, and what's funny though, is that there's actually some pretty reliable sources about how, for some reason, they, they actually visit people who are not in the spotlight. Like um you know you you would expect you know we we, like the most popular what like um what would you guys say is the most popular ufo encounter like roswell right something like that yeah at least here at least here in the u.s and you would expect that you know if there are men in black who are supposed like you know these like agents who are trying to cover up any sort of like ufo activity you would expect them to show up to these really big cases but it's actually the opposite they they'll show up for like the most random like someone will say like there's there's recorded accounts of like Someone just seeing something that they thought was a star, but then it moved around a little bit funny. But then all of a sudden, the very next day, these people show up to like their like their place of work, and they're asking all these weird questions. And people even say that they feel almost like unnaturally gravitated towards like providing them with responses. It's almost like they feel like they they feel like they're providing responses like uh, without their without their consent. They kind of just feel like they're almost like in a trance state uh, talking to them.
0: Well, with, uh, with that in mind, you've talked about uh, how they act and, and, and what they, you know, postulated on what they might do when they're not around. But um, I mean, men in black have, have got a pretty illustri- uh, illustrious uh, history, don't they?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we're, and we're going to skip around a lot. on there's, there's so much information here that um, we're going to have to uh, come back to at some point in time. Like I, I'm about to talk, for example, about John Keel's Mouthman Prophecies. We could do an entire episode on, on just that book alone. There's so much there. Uh, But the modern take on the Men in Black was popularized by John Keel's Mothman Prophecies. Um, You know, some people might know it from the movie, but the book is an entirely different story. And it's actually very uh, little to do with uh, the supposed Mothman. It's actually more to do with like these weird encounters people were having in uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Uh, But from that book, uh, The Mothman Prophecies, comes the story of Woodrow Derenberger and uh, his encounter with a man who called themselves Indrid Cold. And you're going to hear that name a lot because it's become a big part of uh modern ufo lore he later became known as the smiling man
0: was woodrow Derenberger uh the character that was being played by uh richard gerbil in the ass gear or or was that an amalgamation because as i understand it that book was or the movie is kind of just like a, a mishmash of all the stories that are told in that book right
1: yeah you know it's it's a fun movie it it they kind of deviate a lot from the book and i mean the book is actually more of like a collection of like different accounts and stuff that john keel was collecting while while, while going through this town he uh, considered himself like a, a ufologist and so he, he went to this town and visited and was like you know talking to all these people who had seen the mothman or had like strange phone calls or who have had strange men show up uh but in the in the movie. Uh, the uh, Richard Gere actually p- plays uh, John Klein, who I think is like the, uh, you know, the, their all, version, of like his, like version of John Keel.
0: I was going to say it's a sexy
1: version of John Keel because John Keel actually looks more cl- like he he, he just kind of looks like the dude who you might find at, I don't know, like a, a sub shop somewhere, like getting a big ass sandwich. And he, he does not look at all like Richard Gere.
0: Well, Richard Gere looks pretty good to a lot of people. I think he was ni- uh, 1995's uh, Sexiest Man Alive. Uh, and then not long after that, he was just admonished in the gerbil ownership community uh, for some, uh, some illicit behavior regarding those gerbils. So that is true fact. Look it up.
1: I don't know. enough guess we're never going
2: to have him on as a guest.
1: N- uh, never. I, I don't think did, he would only. Way wait, to wait,
2: wait, wait blow that, Rob.
0: Man, shit, if he was going to come here, the only thing I want to know about that is, is how did he get it in there? And also, how did he get it out? I don't really care about his experience on the movie.
1: So with that, I'd like to play a clip from uh, The Mothman Prophecies uh, where John Klein in the movie is actually getting a call from Indrid Cold. And this is the first time that he hears them. We're going to just listen to a short clip of this. And uh, this is a much closer representation to what the encounters with men in black are actually like as opposed to, you know, meeting uh, Will Smith.
3: Hello, John Klein. Who is this? My name is Andrew Cole. Unless oh, of course, you're Gordon Smallwood. Your father was born in Racine, Wisconsin. He lived in a greenhouse on Monroe Street. You don't remember how your mother looked. Okay, you got my attention. Where's my watch? In your shoe, under the bed. Show you my mind. I have no need to, do I? What do you look like? It depends on who's looking.
1: My favorite part of that whole thing is when Andrew Cold says, "It depends on who's looking."
0: With with regard to that, I mean, is is that to say that? Uh, we believe that Indrid Cold takes a com- or Indrid Cold rather takes a completely different look altogether uh, because obviously the, the the question's pretty vague, right? It's like what do you look like, right? Like not, you know, what you know, what hair color do you have or whatever. So is it possible, right, that someone seeing Indrid Cold that is not, you know, um, Richard Richard Gear would see Indrid Cold as? You know, something like the the Mothman, or something like a uh, something like, like Casey. I, I, well, I think that I, I do believe that uh, that other people have uh, in the past uh, likened their um, the appearance of something like endred Cold, at least to uh, you know angelic visits and things like that as well. What you're seeing there is is someone's perception of a, of 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 Indrid Cold is is oftentimes being very much influenced by that person's psyche, right? Like. You know, obviously, I'm not going to see an angel, right? But uh, if if you're a more you know religious person, you might see that. If you're a more superstitious person, you might see you know the the the, the Mothman. But if you're a, a more rational person, it seems to me that you're more likely going to just see him as a man in a suit with a very smiley face.
2: I think yeah, the guy's just being an asshole.
0: You think Andrew is an asshole?
2: Yeah, man, I, I I'd have hung up the phone uh, for you know. Oh, what do you look like? Well, for, what a weird question to ask. First of all, of all the things, yeah. Oh,
1: you think John Klein was being an asshole?
2: Oh no, they both are being assholes because uh, like John Klein's. You know. Oh yeah. First of all, you, you got you got you got to play the game with these people. You, you, you don't tell them. Oh, you have. You know, I have you. You have my attention. Absolutely not. You know, well, you, you see what I did when, when when they came to the door. What did I tell them? I
1: don't know who this Casey
2: guy well, okay. is. Characters lived here in months.
1: R, 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 I don't R, know R, Casey, R, R, but it, it did seem like you were more suggestible after that encounter.
0: You were, and and to be fair, uh, you know, especially with regard to the, the you know the clip we got here. Um, I mean, he does put Indrid Cold through uh, a bit more of a test than just asking him what he looks like. Before that, he does ask him to uh, essentially just you know tell him where um a watches he he takes off a watch and he puts it in his shoe and he puts it under the bed and then um he's like where's my watch and injured cold is like it's in your shoe under the bed or something to that effect um he also entered cold seems to know an awful lot about uh about Richard Gere's character I mean he he he, he knows when he's born or when he was born uh you know what you know what he did um so there are are definitely um that doesn't seem
2: all that impressive to me that 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 doesn't seem at all impressive that you can. Well, it figure seems out. like
0: it should. I look. I'll I'll be honest with you, Casey. I think I think maybe you're playing a little bit more cavalier here because nobody who isn't willing to give their last name would not be freaked out by someone walking up and saying, "I know when you were born. I know what your father does for a living. I know what your mother does, and uh, and I know what you did right like right before you went to bed last night. I know the last thing you laughed at or something like that." So I do think all of all of the cavalier might fall away pretty quick if you were, if you were faced with someone who could truly almost omnip- omnipotently see what you were doing.
1: And I will say that there is some semblance of truth in that story, because there's actually a story in one of Jacques Vallée's books, uh, uh, the edge of reality where these three guys out, like, I want to say they're like out in Wisconsin, like they're out there hunting in the remote wilderness and they see this, like, uh, this like UFO. And, uh, of course, like their first instinct, uh, they see these people like getting out of it. They kind of look short. And when they see them, they like, one of them literally shoots at, at one of the guys at one of the, one of the people that they just saw come out of it. And they just hear back in response, what'd you do that for? And, and so they ran and they're like, they're freaked out. Like, what the hell did we just see? And the very next day, they, uh, they each got a visit at their, at their workplace, even though they were out in the middle of the wilderness, they hadn't talked to anyone about it. Uh, they, you know, they they just assumed that maybe it was like the Air Force and maybe they had seen like some secret tech or something like that. But they showed up. They knew exactly where they were working and um, they knew all this information about them.
2: Why was their first instinct to just start blasting these little men?
1: That's a fantastic it, question.
2: Of course. Like, was, uh, was
1: it was it in America? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was in, it know, was in if, Wisconsin, if, if I remember correctly. If their
2: argument is that they thought they were seeing like Air Force technology or whatever then they also just openly admitted to like cracking a shot yeah. off at a couple of really tiny servicemen
0: ah they're out there in the woods they don't have a whole lot of respect
1: yeah for they were just really freaked out and and you know, actually there's more to that story we should we should come back and, and cover that a bit more in i depth, would though. imagine
2: that hunters are the most patriotic people well the, okay, the so guy I who was...
1: shot them actually he, he he mentioned he felt compelled to do so like he, it wasn't even like it felt like it was this un- unnatural thing that he was just compelled to do. It, it, it didn't even, he didn't even—he had no so, interest in shooting at them.
2: So the aliens that landed on the ship—they come off the ship, these little guys, and they see these hunters, and they and and they compel the hunters to shoot at them, but then yell back, "Hey, what'd you do that for?"
1: In in plain English, as well, by the way, which is interesting to note because in I plain English. It's always interesting to see that. For some reason See, I feel like aliens I feel speak like, perfect English, like Dick Cheney should have
0: used this excuse. What happened? I felt compelled, I can't tell you.
1: But so then he, the aliens
2: were shocked when the guy shot at him. See, it that doesn't that, like no, none of that track. Something's adding up. I don't think the guy felt compelled, you know. I believe that they saw aliens and stuff, but I think this guy, these dudes were out in the woods, probably had a couple of beers. Five hundred milligrams, or or milligrams
1: of delta eight.
2: Yeah, yeah. who knows? I'll tell you what, I mean, it would make me want to shoot no alien. Yeah, these guys—they so, had a couple of Miller lights. You know, it's been Miller time for a little while, and uh, they see this alien ship come down. And they think I'm going to bag an alien, get on the front page of uh, you know New York Times or whatever it's called. They take a shot at it. Alien reflects it with its mind power, and the alien's like, "Hey, man." <laughs> See, they could have delayed the uh, the whole like alien um, human first contact. They could have delayed that because these these drunk assholes decided right. to shoot them.
1: So yeah, we're getting ahead of our ahead of ourselves because we're not even talking about aliens today. Just like the supposed, I guess, guardians of alien UFO activity. So actually, think, the harbingers.
0: It's like they're yeah. like the Silver Surfers of, of of UFOs. Well, actually, no. I guess Silver Surfer would come after, but still yeah so
2: silver we, surfer was technically galactus's herald so he 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 would come for galactus
0: right absolutely well with, with, with that in mind though i mean men in black because we
2: know time. silver Surfer is based 100 in fact
0: yeah absolutely so uh, men in black you know obviously been around for a while but um i think i think we've got here the, the the first recorded instance uh of, of of a men in black what would you call it michael would it be yeah, one of the first
1: uh, one of the first like I guess encounters in in modern UFO history. So this story revolves around someone named Harold Dahl. This is in, in Washington State. Uh, this happened on June 27th of 1947.
2: And uh, 1947. What about- yep. That, <laughs> oh, so it's June of 47. Can we set the stage a little bit? You know, get some. You get uh, what's 47? What was playing in the background back then? Some fucking jazz. <laughs> Guys walk know, around probably. with their pants, pulled up way high, flipping coins. Great picks. style.
0: Just imagine hey. the, the entire opening of Vast of Night. That's all you need to imagine. And then fall, you know, and then reminded yourself to wake up.
1: All right. I like so that movie. I still stand by that. So yeah, we're right. in 1947. This is from, 1947, from uh, Washington State. Yep. An article from history.com uh, written by Justin Cibleach, uh, the UFO sightings that launched men in black mythology. As the story goes, Harold Dahl was on a conservation mission on Puget, I, God damn it. I was, that
2: was, that wasn't to mess you up. That was so good. That was You would he hear me go eh, and then be like, oh, that's where we need to, where we need to cut.
1: I, I would love sorry it. if that, that freaked you became, out, Michael. I no, I it was shouldn't. perfect. <laughs> probably should <laughs> give <laughs> you a heads up. <laughs> let's, let's just make that the sound. <laughs> As the story goes, Harold Dahl was on a conservation mission on the Puget Sound near the eastern shore of Washington's Maury Island, gathering logs when he saw six donut-shaped objects hovering about half a mile above his boat. Before long, one of them fell nearly 1,500 feet, followed by raining metallic debris, some of which hit Dahl's son, Charles, on his arm, as well as the family dog who didn't survive the ordeal. Dahl was able to take some pictures of the aircraft with his camera, which, which he later showed to his supervisor, Fred Chrisman. A skeptical Prisman went back to the scene to look for himself and saw strange aircraft with his own eyes. The following morning, Dahl was visited by a man in a black suit. They end up at a local diner where the man was able to recount an extraordinary detail what Dahl had just experienced. He said, quote, what I have said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe, the man said. Dahl was told not to speak of the incident, and if he did, quote, bad things would happen
2: so that that's always what they say though
0: it's it's i mean the 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 i guess the best uh motivator for anything right i mean if you're if you if you absolutely on a dire level need somebody to do something you're not going to say please don't please don't there's no repercussions but yeah we do you just don't you know we'd we'd, we'd, we'd prefer it if you didn't no i'm just you saying to, if you, you if, do if, have to you do have to kind of come at it with like if a, i'm this guy
2: and i'm sitting at the diner and he tells me uh you know don't talk about this bad things are going to happen I'm going to get a little belligerent and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say what, or what, you know, are you threatening me? Yeah. Pal? Versus yeah, but, if but, this guy says the same thing, but he's like, you, if you, you, you don't say anything at all. And then I'm going to give you enough beer for the rest of your life. Then I'm going to be like, well, let's okay. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. All right. I'm a little more receptive now. Can we get the man a cup of coffee? All right. Well,
0: I'm, 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 I'm going to po- pose, I'm going to pose, I'm going to pose you something real, real quick. Uh, so bad things happen, right? It could be anything. I think a lot of people, uh, when they hear bad things could happen, uh, get hit with like, Oh, you know, they might run me off the road or whatever. So Casey, I know you wouldn't really care about that. You'd still keep your belligerence, but if that man got up right after you got belligerent, he gets up, he says, you know what? It is entirely your decision, but, uh, we we've, we've, we've very much enjoyed keeping an eye on your cat. And then you get home, you get home and zero still there. He's still having a good time. He's still, you know, he's chilling. You know, he's, he's, he's rolled out, laid out, wants you to pet him, whatever you get up, you keep researching your UFO stuff. They told you not to, but you keep fucking doing it. And you wake up the next day and your cat is gone. Not like gone. Like, Oh, he's dead. You've gone. Like you get no closure that is what they're talking about when they say when they say oh you know something bad might happen you have to imagine that that is the greatest motivator that anything could give anything there's bad things could happen can be anything right it's not always that they're just they're not always they're they're not always going to come at you like mob they're not they're not going to come at you like mob leg breakers right they might take your cap you might wake up tomorrow and not know where you are you might wake up on a train in Mexico with no memory of how you got there and absolutely no way to get home. You, you have no idea what they're going to do to you. And that's why it's best to just be like, you know what? I ain't fucking with it. How did they I don't know that? Think.
2: You don't think there's any way I could get them to kind of sweeten the pot a little bit.
0: I, you know what? I, I don't think, I think that that's like believing that because Freddy Krueger can talk, you could stop him from cutting your guts out in your dreams. You couldn't, you could, it's nice to believe, but you couldn't. Um well, look, if
2: they, look, if the man's going to get dressed up and come meet me for breakfast, I feel
0: like he's receptive
2: to, uh, you know, negotiations.
0: Well, we never even talked about who was paying for breakfast. He might not have bought you shit. He might have made you left you with a bill. But
1: oh, wow. uh, well, regardless, light. all we know about the men in black's diet is that they for some reason, like uh, they in some cases, they've drank straight up bleach. And in other cases, they've asked for salt, just straight up salt.
0: Yeah, there are, uh, in, in pop culture, one, one that I, I frequently like to, to reference is uh, if you ever go back and watch uh, the show Fringe, uh, they've got a group of people called the Observers. And if you watch in that, um, they don't have much of a sense of, uh, of, of taste. So they will like one orders like a roast beef sandwich with like 11 jalapenos and dumps an entire thing of pepper onto the sandwich before eating it. So um, lots of weird, lots of weird mythos there. But uh, with regard to uh, that story, obviously, that was in 1947. Uh, but Men in Black may have actually been with us, uh, you know, for a lot longer. There have been a lot of times in, cult- in other cultures, in the ancient religion of Wicca, uh, or just witchcraft in general, uh, a man in Black is actually someone who holds a prominent symbolic meaning. So uh, in, many, uh, in many rites of witchcraft, a member of the coven dresses in Black to represent the Men in Black. Uh, just an example here, from the uh, casebook on Men in Black by Jim Keith. On April 16th of 1948, the peasant Bartholomea Galiza appeared... Of 1648, whole... right? Oh, shit. 1648, not 1948. I was thinking we were just going from one year to the other, but no. We're back at 1648. So... April Do we 16... have
1: any reference as to what the heck was going on in 1648? Where
0: was this? Uh, so it was in Italy in 1648. So, Casey, what... what, what... Regale What's us with what, was, with what the world looked like in Italy in
2: 1648. Oh, uh catholic
0: all right so bartholomea galiza uh, appeared before the holy office in italy to admit acts of witchcraft confessing that she had attended a, a sabbat where she had observed the devil in the shape of a ram who then transformed himself into a fine gentleman with a large plumed hat wholly dressed in black velvet with long sleeves also made of velvet which one would assume if it's you know made of velvet, the sleeves would probably also, especially in 1648 when they still believed that you couldn't wear two different types of clothing. You know, like that you're, you're it couldn't be two different kinds of cloth.
1: Man, the men uh, in black really have a lot of style because it just yeah they got that's not cool man I want to I want to wear that.
0: This I want to sleep in velvet, but I don't know. You um, should have seen
2: the shit the two guys I talked to earlier were wearing. <laughs>
0: So, you know, uh, beyond that, though, we also have in fairy lore uh, of the Celtic countries, uh, there are also lots of tales uh, that that have the men in black. Uh, In fact, part of the fairy belief includes fairies who are the size of normal men who walk around almost unnoticed among humans, except for their black clothing. So, just like their smaller counterparts, uh, they are said to be great mischief makers.
1: For some reason, this is something that's a big part of UFO lore. Like, we're going to have to come back and do an episode at some point on like uh, uh, Jacques Vallée's book, uh, Passport to Magonia. Because he he does a pretty good job laying out uh, potential evidence of like how much of like fairy lore comes from really if you get it from the scope of modern UFO lore it pretty much sounds the same like there's abductions that happen, uh, UFO rings that are left behind whenever like a uh, like a craft was just chilling on their uh, on their grass there's a lot of stuff there that is really interesting and for some reason goes back and includes Men in Black even even way back then.
0: Men in Black are also seen throughout Asian cultures. Uh, Part of the Oriental belief in the king of the world brings up men in Black. Uh, You you can find that in China, Tibet, India. And with regard to that, uh, they believe that there is an underground city where the king of the world runs everything. And he does this by sending spies and minions to the surface. So they dress in black robes, black suits. And of course, their countenances are also or their countenances are uh, very Oriental. I've never been a big fan of using the word Oriental. Obviously, this is Asian Oriental or or ancient Oriental, Asian Oriental. Stop being racist, uh, Rob. I'm doing my best. But it does, I think, uh, bear mentioning that earlier when we were talking about how uh, many of the the different men in black are said to look, Asian was actually uh, part of what they bring in 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 just
1: historical descriptions. They'll either report people who have like milk white skin and, and have no eyebrows or they'll report like short what they can only describe as like Asian looking men.
0: And uh, I mean, it's not just out in Asia, in the Middle East, uh, they move, uh, they're uh, said to move around deserts in black robes and headdresses. Um, all of the, the Middle Eastern uh, versions, uh, they're known as liars, hoaxers, kidnappers. Um, they might, uh, in some cases, have claimed to be from uh, Agartha, uh, which is the underground city, uh, or from a far, uh, far off kingdom, or even a distant star-like system like the Pleiades. But even outside of that, I mean, in, uh, in, in the Christian Bible itself, it pointedly warns us to be aware of those who profess to represent powers and principalities and tells us not to go out into the desert to meet with them. So we've got uh, ancient Christianity, Middle Eastern beliefs, uh, Oriental beliefs, Celtic, uh, as well as, I guess, uh, our Wicca or, uh, or witchcraft kind of uh, beliefs. So they go back pretty far, obviously, uh, 1947. I would honestly, I would go so far as to say my guess, would be that we started getting all these because we started having a much better system for uh, cataloging and and recording uh, these instances. And also just society was fucked back then. Like, could you imagine you have a man in black or men in black who show up at your house and they question you for hours on end? They're really fucking weird. And you try to tell anybody in town in 1603, right, or 1648, they're going to string you up they're going to say, this person's crazy. They're, they're, they're causing problems. It's time to, it's time to get rid of them. We're going to, we're going to burn them or we're going to you know throw it. What was it throw them in the river, all that kind of shit. So um, I think that we start to see a lot more instances of, of men in black in the, in the forties and later, because it became, you know, it, it became less of a, uh, of an issue to report that.
1: Rob, I want to read okay. one more story from casebook in the men in black. It's a really short one. It's one of my favorites because it just sounds so fucking metal. It's uh, again from casebook on the men in black by Jim Keith. And the uh, story goes, in 1603, in southern France, a young man confessed to having kidnapped and eaten a child. He claimed he had been ordered to do hold so. Hold on,
2: hold on, hold on. Kidnapping what?
1: Kidnapped and him. eaten, eaten a child. He and, confessed um, to it? He claimed he Hell had yeah. been ordered to do so by a person known as the Lord of the Forest, to whom he was a bond slave. He described him as being a tall, dark man, who only wore black and rode a black stallion.
2: Yeah. A likely story from a known child eater.
1: I <laughs> say, so are you well, just the, attacking the, the the, uh, the, the, the credibility of this child eater?
2: Yeah. I feel like, uh, I feel like we sort of have to call hey, his credibility no, into on. question, you know, if he's confessed to eating kids.
0: Now, I mean, beautiful. at the
2: same time though, what's the guy got to lie for? Cause I mean, if he's already going around, you know, repping, you know, owning that rep that hey, I uh, I I go around eating kids. I guess it's not crazy to think that he's not lying about that other shit because, like,
0: yeah, I mean, he's. What's he gonna be, lie
2: for? He's already said he ate kids.
0: Yeah, he's a self-proported uh, kidnapper and uh, and child eater. What's he got a lie for? I mean, lie, lying is uh, it's like robbing a liquor store after you burn it down.
1: And, what and is the, what is the
2: kidnapping lie? be implied though with child eating?
1: I
0: don't know. I mean, I guess if you did bring your fork and knife and just ate them in their bedroom.
1: Unless it, maybe the child could have consented to it, maybe
0: the kid's just like, "Yo, eat me." Oh well, then no case. <laughs> so obviously, you know, we've got a lot of different cases uh, all throughout history, ancient uh, and and even more modern. We have we have two bigger stories to kind of dive into, and uh, from there we're we're gonna we're gonna take a step back, you know, assess, and just kind of uh, see see where we end up on this. And uh, for anybody listening, after we finish. Definitely want to hear, you know, what you guys got, got to say about it and where you, where you fall.
1: Um, this is, uh, in my opinion, when like men in black start to get weird. So, we, you know, we were talking earlier about the story in Maury Island. That's a very stereotypical story. Like that's something that you hear over and over again. I kind of skipped over this a little bit, but there's actually uh, two books that if, you, if you're interested in reading more about just like some of the modern histories on men in black, uh, there's Gray Barker's book. They knew too much about flying saucers it's like one of the first times that you start to hear about men in black in modern history. There's also Albert Bender's flying saucers and three men. Those are seminal reads for the introduction to the mythology of of the men in black. And those are very much kind of like the, as I mentioned earlier, the Maury Island story. But what we're about to get into is like when the men in black start to get weirder, but this is the thing that I think uh, interests me the most, because it sort of feels like if you watch twin peaks, it feels like a scene in the black lodge or something, you know, it's like, it's all very much, uh, uh, symbolic. It, it seems like people are talking to you and nothing but like metaphors and analogies. Um, and this is a story uh, about Dr. Herbert Hopkins. This is a case that happened on September 11th of 1976. Casey, what, what was going on in
2: 1976? Oh, uh, 1976, man. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen playing on the radio, uh, you know, born to run, uh, uh, Gerald Ford was running against uh, Jimmy Carter, I believe, in 1976. So you had the presidential election, you had the gas uh, gas crisis, you know, a lot lot going on back in 76.
0: Well, Casey's got info on 76, but I can tell
1: you something about September 11th. September 11th, 1976?
0: Oh, just September 11th, my guy.
1: Okay, we're going to skip that one. We're not going to come back to that one. <laughs> so, Dr. Herbert Hopkins, September 11th, 1976, quote, Hopkins, a general practitioner who lived in Orchard, Be- Orchard Beach, Maine, had experience in the field of hypnosis and had then recently subjected to regression therapy and an alleged alien abductee named David Stevens. On the night in question, Hopkins was home alone when the telephone rang. On the other end was someone claiming to represent the New Jersey UFO Research Organization, who wished to speak with the doctor about the Stevens' case. Hopkins did not know it at the time, but there was no New Jersey UFO re- Research Organization. He invited the man over, however. This in itself was very curious and totally illogical, Hopkins later realized, as he did not even think to ask the man's name. Because it was already after 8 p.m. and the skies were dark, after hanging up the telephone, Hopkins went to the door and turned on the outside light to provide his visitor with some illumination when he finally arrived. To Hopkins' astonishment, however, the man in black was already there, making a slow, steady way up the porch stairs and directly toward the stunned doctor. Oddly, there was no parked car in sight and Hopkins knew there was no telephone booth close by from where the man could have conceivably gotten to his residence with such a mystifying speed. Hopkins opened the door wide and let the man in. The identity of the man did not become any clearer when he entered the Hopkins residence. Perhaps it was the unsettling appearance of the caller that helped ensure Hopkins totally forgot to secure a name. The man's clothes and homburg hat were utterly black, his suede gloves were gray, and his skin was deathly white. His body was skinny in the extreme. As was evidenced by the fact that the man's wrinkle free suit was way too large for his sickly looking skeletal frame. When the man sat down, Hopkins could see that he was totally devoid of any hair on his head. He lacked both eyebrows and eyelashes. The man's bright red, extremely thin lips stood out dramatically. The family's dog barked furiously as the man came into the living room, then put its tail between its legs and raced off into the safety of a nearby closet, where it remained for the duration of the mystery man's visit. The man in black was seemingly unfazed by the frightened hound. He began questioning Hopkins about his work on the alien abduction experience of David Stevens. Even the mode of questioning struck Hopkins as strange. The man had no detectable accent, was entirely unemotional and monotone, and seemed robotic in his physical appearance and mannerisms. Strangest of all, as he listened to carefully to Hopkins, the man in black placed the back of his fingers to his lips. Hopkins noted with amazement that the gray gloves on the man was wearing quickly became stained red. The unusual character was wearing bright and red lipstick. The men in black informed Hopkins that there were two coins on Hopkins' pocket, which was correct, and asked him to remove one. Hopkins complied and held the coin, a shiny new penny, in the palm of his hand. The MIB told Hopkins to watch the coin closely. After a few moments, the coin took on a silvery appearance and appeared to be going out of focus. It then began to fade and eventually disappeared altogether. The MIB informed Hopkins that the coin would never be seen on this plane again. He then inquired as to whether Hopkins was familiar with the alleged UFO abductee, Barney Hill. Hopkins replied that he had heard of of Hill, but was under the impression that he had died in the not-too-distant past. The men in black informed Hopkins that was correct. Barney didn't have a heart, said the MIB, just like you no longer have a coin. It should be noted that Barney Hill actually died of a cerebral hemorrhage. The MIB then gently suggested that Hopkins destroy any material he had related to the UFO case.
0: Damn. What a... Can, was it a quarter was a quarter what he was uh what he lost he lost a quarter
2: said it was a penny right no, yeah penny. he said it was a penny yeah see so if it had been a quarter then 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 like yes. it, it would have yes. been on like that's that yeah. that's no, a whole I mean,
1: that's 25
2: I mean, cents man that's too much money to be just disappearing like that
0: i mean if it's a penny this this man in black has just raised the value of the dollar that's all he's done
2: you could have um, asked me to go outside and get a small rock you didn't have to start making my money disappear
0: but yeah, so 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 they told him to stop looking. Now to clarify, did he stop looking? Was that was that the end of it? Was
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he did he did he ever quit?
1: See, that's a great question. Is that you know we were talking earlier about all the, the supposed dangers, right? That you're in if if you don't if you don't stop your research. And in most cases, almost almost no one really stops their research. They might publicly stop talking about it, but um, you know they might even feel scared. But there's there's not any recorded instances, at least that I'm aware of, where something actually happened to the UFO witness or someone who's related to this this whole topic.
0: That hurts your credibility over time, doesn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. man, so, I'm slamming the doors on these guys the next time they come over. Then
1: absolutely. You have to question what what reason would you even have to to do this if it's not going to lead anywhere? But maybe it's leading exactly where it's supposed to. Yeah.
0: Okay, well uh I've got uh I've got I've got a story here um that kind of follows up uh on that. Michael, remind me the 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 story there, what year did that happen?
1: 1967.
0: 67. Uh, I thought it was okay.
1: 76.
0: Yeah, 76, right. Oh yeah, 76. you're right. I'm
1: sorry. 1976.
2: Just got to say I gave, I gave I gave an inaccurate uh you know fucking <laughs> well,
0: you know, <laughs> off off by a good bit, but um so uh, the reason I ask, though, is that it seems like '76 uh, was just a big year. Um, so the story I've got here is a story about uh, Shirley Greenfield. Uh, Shirley Greenfield is a pseudonym. Uh, the book that I got this out of, uh, the the woman doing the research was not able to get her to to, to sign off on giving her real name. Uh, however, much like uh, Casey, exactly. <laughs> uh, Who knows what but,
3: the
2: secrets I might have?
0: But uh, but so so. Uh, so the story goes that uh, on January t- uh, 23rd, 1976, Shirley Greenfield was 17 and working uh, in an office in the town of Bolton, uh, Lancashire. Uh, and this to me is fun because most of our, most UFO stories, most things that we know about, especially here in the U.S., uh, are, are, are stories of abductions and, and encounters that happen in the U.S. But um, this is uh, happening over there in the U.K. Um, so what happens is Shirley uh she sees a ufo right we're not going to dive too far into the ufo uh information because that's not what we're covering today but essentially uh she sees some light in the sky uh it's kind of uh you know wobbling around uh i think her description was actually that uh it looked kind of like an upturned bowl uh with lights kind of just going around the you know around and around it the big thing though to bear in mind with regard to this ufo is that it eventually ended up basically hovering directly above Shirley. So um, she reported as this thing was hovering above her, that she could feel a, a pressure, a force kind of like pushing her to the ground. Um, and even crazier was that she felt her teeth start to resonate, to, to, to vibrate. And it was everything she could do to just sort of stay up uh, or sorry, to stay upright, to be, stay on her feet. She She sees this happen. She goes home. She tries to forget about it. But the next day, She starts to notice that, I mean, she's got incredibly bad pain. Her health starts to decline. What's worse, nobody fucking believes her. I mean, she goes home and basically, I mean, at 17, you try to tell somebody you saw a UFO and people are going to immediately be like, well, you know, hormones, hormones did it. You know, this crazy girl, uh, she didn't see anything. So, uh, so nobody really believes her. Her parents are the only ones who kind of show any real uh, concern about it. And largely that's because they start to see her health decline in such a, at such a rapid rate she started feeling a pain uh in her mouth uh from she she assumed it was from whatever that resonating feeling was um but eventually you know it got so bad that she was laid up in bed she couldn't go anywhere um so she goes to see a doctor now when they get there they inspect her mouth and realize that all of the fillings in her mouth have crumbled into dust or at least in the top part of her mouth they've crumbled in the bottom part of her mouth the fillings have actually embedded themselves into her gums um so they take uh they have to take a lot of time to uh fix her mouth you know get all that sorted out not
2: to not to interrupt but like could that have just been from her just being british and having british teeth
0: ah you know austin powers did make me think about that i was like you know what maybe she's a shitty teeth but if anything but if she had but if she had like fillings right i have to assume she went to the trouble of trying to get them fixed Austin powers never really gave the impression that he wanted to do anything about it i assume fillings especially in 76 would have been a bit more expensive to, to, to have done.
2: Probably a hundred shillings, (laughs) hundred shillings for a set of fillings.
0: So, uh, so, so after, after all this with the doctor, uh, her parents, uh, you know, they, they think, okay, it's gonna, you know, we're going to let this go. They're still a little bit worried about her, but they're, you know, they're, they're thinking the worst is behind them. Um, Shirley on the other hand uh, actually gets in touch with a uh, UFO investigation group. Um, and from there, they kind of lead her into a situation where she is going to to do what is really big in a lot of a lot of UFO uh, stories, a lot of uh, a lot of reports, where she goes through this um, uh, hypnotic regression. Basically, so she goes, and if anybody, if, if you've ever seen X Files, I think everybody on the call here has. Uh, they all, you know, Mulder's big things. he went through hypnotic regression, and that let him see the memories of his sister being taken. It's very similar to what happened here with Shirley. And so essentially she uh, she she was able to recover this memory where she does remember being uh, basically abducted. Right. She she remembers being taken to a place where she was being told that she was going to need to do something later, uh, but that it was going to be revealed to her later uh, and uh, that, that they weren't going to tell her now. But essentially they said, you know, one of these days we're going to call on you and you're going to do this thing for us. Right. And that's the memory that she gets back now. Uh, on Monday, February the 2nd, 1976, which is nine days after this encounter, her mother takes a call just before, uh, before Shirley gets home from work. And the, uh, the man on the other uh, end of the phone is a man who would only identify himself as someone who investigates these things. Uh, he posed a lot of questions uh, about her her about Shirley's health. Uh, specifically, he wanted to know if there had been any marks that had been left on her body, which is wild because beside the, besides the teeth, Right, uh, Shirley did uh, report having found sort of a burn on the back of her, uh, on her, on the backs of her arms.
2: Like what kind of burns? Like sunburn? Like
0: no, uh, I mean they 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 they, degree, were shaped, first they were third degree,
2: first
0: Shirley reported them as having been circular with uh, with like a notch on uh, on on the end of one.
1: But uh, I will say, sunburns are are a common thing, Casey.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, close uh,
2: encounters of the third kind, Richard uh, Dreyfus.
0: Yeah,
1: right. people. We were talking about earlier about the Mothman prophecies, for example. Like when people saw Mothman, their their eyes would be essentially swollen shut. Like they just get like all this like sunburn like type radiation like burns on their skin.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I think if I if I remember correctly, in the movie, that's that's one of the things. Is a guy gets like his like his arm is out like in the window of his car, and it gets burned. And then uh, was it his eyes or his uh, girlfriend's eyes? They they, they, get, they get all burnt.
1: I can't remember in the movie, but I, I want to say in the actual story, it's both.
0: Okay. So, anyways, uh, so they get this call. The mother doesn't really tell uh, this man a whole lot of information. It, it, if if she didn't really have a lot of that information to give. Uh, however, at seven p.m. the following night, uh, during what was a, a pretty nasty storm, there's a knock at the door, uh, and uh, uh, Mr. Greenfield actually goes to the door, answers it, and and sees uh, a pair of men standing outside. Now. His first uh, his first reaction on on seeing these guys, knowing what the weather was looking like, was essentially he wanted to do exactly what Casey was talking about earlier. He was going to basically just close the door in their faces, uh, especially after they asked whether or not they could speak with his daughter. Um, However, uh, the leading uh, man in this tells him, if you do not let us in now, we will come back later and make Shirley speak to us from the reports of everyone involved. He did not seem to utter that lightly. It didn't seem like a like a flippin'. He didn't seem nervous about it. He seemed like, I'm telling you this, and I absolutely am going to back that up. So they let it. You know, they they let him in uh, at the behest of Shirley, who's been listening to this whole thing from at the top of the stairs. Uh, and they essentially they they begin to interrogate Shirley. Uh, and so here are a few of the things that 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 I just want to kind of bring up that are some weird MIB stuff that that, that they noticed from this uh, from this in- interaction. Uh, first off. The man who initially started out speaking, um, he only ever identifies himself as the commander, right? He never really gives, uh, he never gives his name. He never tells the name of his colleague. His colleague never really speaks. Um, The commander never gives, uh, you know, any explanation for what branch of the British military he was a part of, nothing. Um, Another thing that they all seem to have noticed is that the man who was not doing the speaking, who was never introduced, He's sitting back with what they explained to them is a recording device, right? That he's going to be recording uh, this, uh, inter- you know, interrogation or, or questioning. Uh, however, it looks like um, just like a box. There's no, there's seemingly no microphone. There's seemingly no opening. Um, and despite the fact that it's 1976 and they interrogate this girl for close to three hours, he never once has to take out the tape and change it. He never even has to flip it, so so that's another thing that kind of stands out to him. During the uh, the interrogation, um, the the commander begins to ask Shirley. He asks her about her wounds. He asks her what she saw. He asks her a number of questions about whether or not she exhibited any form of telekine- uh, telekinesis, uh, any sort of telepathic ability, or any sort of precognitive ability as a
1: child. And that's where um, shit starts to get wiggity.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's. It's 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 pretty out there. I mean, and as they're sitting around, right, the family um they the family decides to be a, a kind of close, closed lip. Shirley answers most of the, the commander's questions, honestly. The main one that she refuses to tell him about though are the physical uh the the physical ailments that came after this encounter. Um so um another pretty weird kind of kind of thing that happened was um since the the since the mother and the father and Shirley were all in this room, uh, you would expect that their that their testimony about this interaction would be identical, um, with only a few minor sort of variances. Uh, however, Shirley, on, on her own reporting about this, distinctly remembers the commander only having one arm, and furthermore says that when asked about it, the commander. Uh, explains that he lost his uh, lost his arm during a, a, an airplane accident. Uh, however, Shirley's parents not only don't remember that he was missing an arm, but they don't even remember a time during the conversation when that was even broached. So that's that's a, 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 a pretty a pretty wild thing, which is kind of a discrepancy. After all this, you know they the, uh, you know after this interrogation, they finally uh, you know they get everything they think they're going to get out of her. They pack up and they they leave. So. After this happens, uh, about a week goes by, and the commander gives another call. Uh, and at this point, Shirley picks up the phone, and because of the fact that it's been long enough now that her burns, and obviously she's seen a doctor, because of the fact that these ailments have kind of been taken care of, she decides it's no use lying to this guy again. Um, you know, what's he going to do? He's not going to come back and look at at, at half a scar. Um, so after telling him that she did exhibit. Um, some uh, discomfort, some, some injuries, the, the commander actually seems relieved by this information. Uh, and he, ha- he also thanks her for clearing it up and then promptly hangs up the phone and he has never heard from again, never calls, nobody else uh, comes to check in on him. But uh, another just sort of crazy thing that happens is later, right? Shirley doesn't give up on uh, doing the regression uh, uh, therapy. And during the later regression session, she actually starts to talk uh, about something. And the quote she actually has is, I don't understand why he's talking to me twice. Now, this is while they are uh, having her regress and, and remember the instance of this interrogation. And she essentially gives uh, the, you know, gives the information that the memory she got back from this regression was that they were having two separate conversations that Yes, the the commander was asking her about what she'd experienced. He was asking her about her childhood. He was asking about her um, injuries and things like that. But he was also probing inside of her mind telepathically, and they were essentially having two separate conversations at the exact same time. Now, I know er- earlier, right? We uh, we we uh, I, t- I touched on the fact that he did ask whether or not she had exhibited any kind of precognitive or telekinetic or telepathic abilities as a child. And weirdly enough, her mother and her sister both claim on separate occasions to have seen Shirley consciously, uh, levitate down there, down the stairs in their house when she was a child. That No
2: fucking way. Casey,
1: so is that uh, the most they... unbelievable part of that story?
2: Like the fact that they didn't talk about that, every single day of their lives and like they, they like they waited till that dude was there to bring it up
1: casey this happens though this is a very this is i'm so glad you said that because this happens time and again where people have this crazy shit happen they're like oh yeah i saw this creature that you know and they describe like mothman or something like that but it's like they it had been buried in their like memory until this like moment where they're talking about this and they're like oh shit like well that's kind of crazy
0: well you also you also got to bear in mind too casey that you know, while your reaction to that particular kind of, uh, story would have been, that's fucking bullshit because if it ever happened to me, there's no way you'd shut me up about it. Right. But the thing is, is that most people that, that something like that happens to, they're going to be like, they may tell a story once or twice, especially, you know, when, you know, when they're, you know was a child. Right. But after the f- probably fourth or fifth time that somebody says, you're fucking crazy, that didn't, that did not happen. Uh, you're going to, I mean, you're going to stop telling that story. Right. I mean, you might not, Right but you're you're an average person. I mean, I know that uh that you, for example casey uh are, are convinced that you're immune to rabies, and it doesn't seem to matter how many times we tell you that you're not
2: No, you're no, not immune to rabies. That's an possibility about? i i I do believe I have uh you know animal kinship. I do think that uh large predators might might would think twice about attacking me not out of out of fear but out of uh you know. Uh, a, a brotherhood a kinship uh the the, the 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 sense the animal essence that i, I carry with me you have exactly
1: do you have anything to, to support this casey um it's a
0: hunch it's like a cop has a hunch man
2: i made eye contact with a gorilla for 30 seconds through some glasses zoo one time yeah i was that was uh other than that no i have nothing to back that up I was the just a gut feeling
1: the gorilla wasn't like telepathically communicating to you or anything
2: no no
0: that harambe no.
2: i mean we both scratched our asses at the same time but that i think that might have just
1: okay been that related. now that that might actually be a kinship they that just form. that's just
0: that's just mimics anyways so power suggestion. so i guess i guess everything that you just said casey actually backs up what i was talking about though very few people would be nearly as proud uh to say in their 30s that they believe that their kinship with animals is so high that a uh, tiger would not maul them if dropped into a, uh, into a pit with them. So naturally you would be the outlier on whether or not, like if you, if you were known to have levitated down your stairs, you would tell everybody, right? But naturally this family, especially London, bunch of passive aggressive people who are being very mean to each other. They don't, wanna, they don't wanna lose their standing in the community. They're not gonna say every day.
2: I would've had you <laughs> introduce me as that, the guy that once levitated down a flight of steps.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, that story comes from, uh, the truth behind men in black, which is, uh, written by, uh, Jenny Randall's published in uh, August of 1997. Um, that it's a, it's a great book. Uh, I actually found myself getting just kind of lost in it, uh, trying to, you know, when I was doing my research for this, but, uh, it was, it was pretty, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. So if you get a chance to read it, uh, definitely give it a go. But, and, yeah, those, you know, I
1: just, I just want to mention Rob, like some of the more like wiggity, details of some of these stories are, are actually kind of what for me get, lends it more credibility because uh, i keep talking about jacques belay but in so many of his books like there's or, or even just like the stuff that he's like made that you know he was in a documentary called uh, uh witness to another world i think is what it's called and there's this recurring theme of people who have a, a, like a, a ufo encounter or you know they they encounter beings or something and then they like almost like secretly report like they, you know, they might develop some sort of relationship with Jacques Vallée and they, they, they only tell him this sort of thing. Like, they'll talk about like, Hey, I I'm, communicate with animals. Like that's what that's like the witness to another world. That's literally what the guy tells them. Like, Hey, I understand what they're like, what these animals are thinking. Oh like, my God. Yeah, How do you yeah, sign they, up for that? Yeah. They develop like, I mean, they develop all these like weird sort of like uh, kind of like mutant like powers. And uh, you know, there's actually like this is there's so many independent sources that touch on this that actually makes me believe that this is actually a, a legitimate part of this whole thing, even though it's like the strangest part of it.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I think that that kind of leads us into uh, into our last little bit here is to really just kind of break down legitimacy uh, of this. I mean, based off what we've talked about and, and and the stories we've got, and also, I guess, any any knowledge you bring to the table uh, to just kind of go around and, and figure out where we stand on it. So, uh, I think honestly, I'd, I'd like to probably kick things off with Casey. With, with, with regard to Men in Black, the phenomena, uh, not Will Smith.
2: I'd say that was a like phenomena. It.
0: What, Will
1: Smith?
2: The, the movie. I
0: mean,
1: it, it, was, it is a great movie. I, I, I do like the movie, but I kind of I, kind of a wish, phenomenal we gotten, like, I wish we had gotten like, like a, a Christopher Nolan Men in Black movie.
0: Well, I mean, let's also bear in mind that, that Men in Black started out as a comic series.
1: We
2: have a perfect Men in Black movie, and there's no reason to uh, try and get lightning to strike twice there.
0: So, with regard to the phenomena, as opposed to the uh, the, the, the movie sensation, Casey, what uh, what are what are your feelings on Men in Black?
2: Um, you know, I'm not too worried about them.
1: Do you think that they're real? Oh, sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of. Uh, Weird, no explained shit, and I mean, uh, you know, uh, that many people can't be lying. Uh, I feel like, uh, you know, it's just—I don't know about it going as far back as uh, you know the Celts and stuff. That, that, to me, just sounded more like a like a poem about Celtic goths. But uh, ultimately, yeah, I err on the side of uh, you know, I never want to have to meet one of these guys. Cause, Jesus Christ, what a conversation that 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 so, sounds like.
0: So, and I just—I just want to get this straight. You're telling me that your belief or that your, your your belief hinges more on the fact that a bunch of people in the 60s 70s the, or 40s through the 70s reported it but the fact that there are reports of, of men in black throughout history that's like a nah fuck that that's not a part of it
2: well you know uh, I, I have an easier time believing that a guy in a black suit sat somebody down at a diner and told them to stop researching ufos than um a secret city of Asians that wear black clothing that control the world.
0: Okay. So, so then that actually brings up another good point. Um, Casey, do you believe that these are in any form or shape or form that the men in black are uh, extraterrestrial or, or, or anything like that? Or do you just think that they are a group of dudes in black suits that just walk around and tell you to stop looking up the wrong shit on your computer?
1: Yeah. What do you think they are Casey? Uh,
2: uh, A goddamn annoyance. From the ones I interacted <laughs> with, I'll tell you right now: I, if, if if they're aliens trying to be humans, they're doing a bad job. If the robots trying to be humans, they're doing an even worse job. And uh, if they're humans trying to be humans, well, then I have even less fucking patience for them.
0: So that was but, a lot of ifs. That was a lot of ifs, Casey. But what I mean, if 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 you had to choose which side you uh, you you lean to, what I mean, what do you what do you think that they are? As opposed to giving us a, a if they're this, then this.
2: Uh, probably right. some kind of alien force or whatever has, uh, come through and they've decided that, uh, the best way to get us to stop doing stuff is to, uh, you know, try to do it in a way that we relate to. Yeah. But that sounds like it, you know, probably, uh, probably send some guy down. They're just like, ah, who knows? Just get the first suit, go to Goodwill and get a black suit and run down to their house and, uh, know yeah, tell them, tell them to, uh, Shred the files and all that shit. Throw them in the furnace or what have you.
0: They're only going to do it for forty years too. That's the other thing. They're like, yeah, you know what? Much like the Amish think tools were great in like what nineteen oh two. It's like the men in black are just like, you know what? Fuck it. The only people we need to visit is from like the forties to the seventies. Anything after that, if you see a UFO, psh,
2: give a shit. Well, come everybody come had uh you know what, super eight cameras and shit. You know that's uh, back then. but uh, you back in the day, you had to like carve stuff until. Big rock slabs and stuff, and you had to paint it on the side of a cave wall. UFOs long gone before you have a chance to get Wait, a picture of it. We were talking so no like the 1600s. We were
1: not talking about caveman.
2: Oh right, yeah, well, no, they, they, had, they didn't have uh, they didn't have cameras. You know, some guy had to sit up with a with a with an easel and try to paint the UFO if they saw one back then. So of course the aliens weren't as worried about it back then.
1: There's are now some
2: pretty trippy Harry's got one in his pocket. You know, it, 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 no no UFO is going to sit for a portrait.
1: Rob, what do you think it is and, and actually, uh, let me preface that. Do you think it's real, and what do you think it is
0: yeah i mean i'm I'm definitely open to the concept that it's real i I'd like to believe i guess uh you know unfortunately, much like the uh, the x files thing like i I want to believe I right to I just believe. don't yeah, but I don't have uh like i i I don't have anything that's ever happened in my life that's made me think like, oh shit, like I've come really close um I mean like they don't show up to look at my 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 browser mm-hmm. history. Uh, thank God but I'm open to the concept that it could happen but again it's never happened to me uh, and it is to me it's a little it's a little weird that they chose to uh, to stick with with appearing for like a 40 year span of time
1: I mean they, um, they that is a thing though there's you know the, like UFO flaps for example I, have you guys heard that terminology UFO flaps it's like there's like a period of time where like there's all this UFO activity people are seeing it everywhere and then it just dies down for like years. And it's very sporadic it does go in waves so i mean there's some credence the to it cup,
2: right
0: well i mean i just think uh, yeah kind of like I, the world I, cup yeah they just, just get excited
2: once every four years and then forget about it
0: i just think i, I think it's a little it's a little weird it's like you know if you got 40 years it's like okay we're we're gonna start showing up just as you got like cameras decent enough to take pictures of bigfoot but not decent enough to see like the fact that uh you know, like I, I i fucked my makeup up or i have acne today right like if they showed up now they showed up now they couldn't get around because everybody's taking a picture or using their phone maybe on 16 different people's tiktoks like the minute they showed up now like you there'd be no like oh live
2: know, streaming like that shit. yeah
0: it, it, it'd be on so there'd be it'd be you know i'll be live with my boy apple yeah there's cameras and shit everywhere now so so it it seems it It would just become a
1: meme like it it would literally i mean we saw the area 51 thing like as soon as you know that became an event there was all these memes and like there was like pictures of aliens with like the a -A lmao thing
2: will smith would start slapping anyone that talked about their uh bald appearance
0: keep apple's name out your fucking mouth but anyways no I, i i do believe i do believe that they they can be real I have not seen them, but uh, if, if I was to say like, you know, if if I was to say what I believe that they are, I would say uh, more than likely that they are uh, extraterrestrial or extra dimensional types of, of, of beings that, uh, that, that kind of show up. I, I would say probably to shut shit down so that people don't, I, you know, there's uh, there's, there's, there's plenty of theories in my head at least about like why they would do that. Uh, One of which being that like, if if a ufo is traveling across dimensions it would make sense that you would want to keep people uninterested so that people aren't standing in that exact spot and potentially pulled into another dimension the next time it comes and goes you'd essentially want people to fuck off from that spot right Um, then just
2: rope it off don't be a bunch of you don't bring
0: you don't bring bring a bunch of of attention to it i mean even put some cones up just put some cones up no, I mean even Skynet didn't send a terminator back in the middle of a fucking arena. They sent it back in a fucking uh, parking lot. I mean it, it there is there is something to be said See, for there you, go. We you know got structures. trying to, trying to use some uh, trying to use some discretion.
1: We we definitely have to like acknowledge the fact that if if what they're really trying to do is hide UFO data, they're doing a terrible job at it.
0: True enough. But I mean if the if the goal is is really just to warn you off of it, right? And especially I mean obviously later on in, in another episode we may get into the concept of aliens versus extra dimensional beings but at the end of the day if you if we're dealing with extra dimensional beings, right you'd be dealing with something that's so far removed from what it is to be human uh, that their their concept of, of, of the kind of logic we're talking about here uh, might be pretty skewed. I mean while you know while we're sitting here saying, well if you didn't want us to look at it you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have said anything about it. They might be thinking, that's the only way to do it right like their, their their logic could be completely different due to a completely different way of 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 processing information But anyways uh so michael what uh what's what's your take
1: yeah so i i think the men in black are absolutely real like there's it's definitely there there's something that um people are absolutely coming into encounters with i don't personally think it is what it appears to be i think uh, uh you know when you look at all these patterns right there terrible at at like doing what they're supposed to be doing they do all this stuff really to confuse people we were talking about the confusion technique earlier and it seems like it's uh, uh it's it's made to be that way by design in my opinion it's it's something that it's kind of like it's someone trying to set a scene for you and, and you see this in, in a lot of ufo encounters as well where it almost seems like they're trying to make you think that something is happening and i, I, I know it sounds kind of like it, it sounds out there but i really you know, do think that it's, it's real. Some of the bizarre, uh, like aspects of it, I think are, are made that way to essentially like discredit people. And uh, we were talking earlier about like, how, um, you know, if they came, you know, they were doing stuff like this today, you know, they'd be on TikTok and all this stuff. But I think even the people that they appear them, you know, who they uh, uh, come and visit, uh, same as UFOs, I think that by design, they are not coming to people who are, on TikTok, uh, TikTok. <laughs> you know, they're coming to like Joe Schmo out in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, and they're showing up and, and they're, you know, they're, they're trying to somewhat intimidate them, but not really just enough to kind of make them think that there's something going on. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, it's so easy to dismiss it, like, because there's all this bizarre, crazy shit going on with it. But um, I think it's done that way by design. And so, you know, if, if we sort through all that, bullshit, like we can, you know, we might find some truth behind it, like we, we can pull back the curtain on it. And, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm honestly divided as to like, what it is, I think uh, the rational side of me thinks that it's a psyop, you know, I, it's kind of a boring explanation. But I honest to God do believe that there's at least, at least some encounters can probably be explained away with like, uh, CIA agents just coming in to just like BS and, and try to make people think certain things. Um, I mean, we've seen this even with like, what is it? Uh, like, when chemical agents have been used before to make people hallucinate and make people think that there's something going on. I think they, the reasons for why they would do something like this, that's what's really hard to nail down. Like what, who has, who, who stands to benefit from something like this. Um, but I think uh, uh, my boring explanation is that I think it's a psyop. It's just like a government sort of surveillance type of thing or something that's just meant to like put disinformation out there, you know, for, for what purpose, I don't know, but I, I think that that's, there's a trend behind it but my favorite uh, fun sort of theory behind it is that they're time cops. It's this is covered on like a uh, last podcast on
2: the oh. lab, actually.
1: They did a series on, on on men in black actually and one of the things that they cover is time cops. And it's this is freaking awesome sort of like thought of like you know just uh people who are who are committing time crimes, right? They're coming they're showing up in a UFO and so these like you know people from different dimensions, different times, different realities are showing up and you know it explains things like freaking uh, um, uh, Bigfoot showing up or like Mothman showing up. And that's why the men in black are kind of all around these like stories. So, you know, I, I do think it's a combination of different things. I don't think it's just one thing. Um, but it's definitely, in my opinion, had the intended effect of like creating its own folklore. Because I mean, even with us like talking about it right now, for example, like if there is any truth to any of this, right, you might think like, it might even subtly like discourage you from maybe oversharing about these sorts of encounters because there's like this innate ridiculousness associated with these stories. So, I don't Shit, know that's, Casey. That's kind of what I think.
2: I'm telling every Shit. motherfucker. I mean,
0: fucking Casey's ass will be out there in the middle of the streets with a fucking sign that just says, Oh, the men in black were just here. Go get them. Uh, nah. I'm letting everybody know.
2: I'm be, falling be down, down the driveway. Thing.
0: Be in the backyard, giving some, uh, you know, some singing Snow White bullshit to try to get the deer uh, to chase after him, and uh, you know, get all of his, uh, his his animal brethren to to take up the mantle <laughs> and uh, go go get these men in black.
1: Something we didn't really touch on today that I think is probably like the scariest explanation, at least in my in my mind, the scariest explanation behind it is this concept of a tulpa. Casey, do you know what a tulpa is? I do not. So a tulpa is. Some of this comes from Wikipedia. It's like a topa is defined as a, a thought form energy ghost. So if you can imagine like when you're a kid you have a, an imaginary friend it's kind of like that. but imagine if like collectively our societies like paranoia created these like g men looking men in black who, who are like uh, essentially we all of our fears put together into this like uh, being that you know walks around like acting like they're uh, like like cops. And they become these like sentient beings kind of like living on their own. And uh, I'm going to read here a bit more about like what a topa is. But a topa is a concept in theosophy, mysticism, and the paranormal of a being or object which is created through spiritual or mental powers. Modern practitioners use the term to refer to a type of willed imagined being, which practitioners consider to be sentient and relatively independent. Topas have thoughts, emotions, and personalities separate from their hosts. Topos can be created either with a collection of meditative techniques or accidentally when someone has an imaginary friend that persists later in life. And what's scary to me about this is that topos feed on high emotion. So whether it be love, anger, depression, et cetera, fear, uh, what they need most than what they need more than anything is something like fear because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't even have to come directly from the source of their creator. It's essentially something that it can now live independently because it's feeding off of this fear. So you know, essentially us being even relatively creeped out by like the Mothman injured cold story. That's essentially keeping Tulpa's alive. Like if this is an actual thing, like that we're, we've created thought form energy ghosts. This is something that is essentially happened already in our society.
0: Well, I mean, I have news for you guys. I'm actually a Tulpa. My dad was so scared of having kids that I'm the manifestation of all
1: this, uh... Uh, <laughs> Rob, uh... you, I'm sorry, dude, you just have a bad dad.
0: No, no, I embody I embody all the uh, the fear of disappointment by being that disappointment, bros. I uh, so you're just a I'm,
1: tulpa, yeah, just like your your father. I'm, dispar- I'm a
0: I'm a I'm a disappointment tulpa. I, I I thrive off of not doing what is expected of me.
1: Me too, Rob. I feel that man. I'm I'm with you. Nothing nothing makes me happier.
2: I'm not. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't think that that stuff happens.
0: You don't. Oh, so you don't believe in tulpa? You believe in uh, the Men in Black? Just no no tulpas
2: you gotta draw a line somewhere.
0: Do you have to draw a
1: line? Well, I do. But why are aliens any more believable than something like this?
2: Uh I don't know. Uh you, you see the ships all the time and uh you know they're they're, they're hanging out doing stuff crash all the time. They can't right, drive if, worth a shit.
0: But if I mean if a tulpa if a tulpa has its own feelings, its own emotions, it's something There's nothing to say a tulpa couldn't look like a person. You might see a tulpa any like like every day.
1: Casey, you might be a tolpa.
2: Oh wow! Shit.
1: And I think with that, it's a good time for us to put an end to our episode on Men in Black.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, we uh, got don't feed good... the Topas. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't feed them. Uh, it, you know, unless you're gonna feed me, um, by all means. I, after I
2: don't loop. feed them after I, midnight. Don't
1: open I your loop. doors.
2: I think is the thing. Don't feed them after midnight, you're and don't just get them. About the
1: gremlins. I may be talking disappoint. about
2: gremlins too.
0: So you guys would have a gremlin, not a mogwai?
2: Oh yeah, that's right. There's a difference, isn't there?
0: There absolutely is.
2: Yeah. See, I'm not that into gremlins.
1: Yeah,
0: well, You know, you know what they say. You know, anytime you want to do something, end it on a high note. So thank anybody who's been listening. This has been the first episode of the Supernaturally Bad podcast, and uh, this has been Rob Findlay, Michael Melgar, and Casey No Name.
1: Casey, when are you going to reveal your last name? Is it going to be a big reveal uh, later on down the road?
2: Oh, uh, 100th episode. Why the hell not?
1: It's going to... I just feel like it's going to be a big disappointment.
2: <laughs> stop recording. Believe, believe me.
1: It'll be supernaturally bad. Ah. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, I don't... Do we need... We need a catchphrase. We need something. Casey, catchphrase?
0: Whammy wham wham. Wazel.
2: Nuts to you, McGillicuddy.
1: There you go. Thank you, guys. This has been the Supernaturally Bad Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us about a topic we should cover or just reach out to chat, send us an email at thisherepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.
0: (laughs)